Well, what's good, CHCC family and friends? Hey, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week as we get to worship our risen Savior. And so I'm excited, man. I am mad hyped to chop it up in God's Word with you all this morning. Hey, so if you were with us last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 15 as we were celebrating our resurrected Lord on Easter Sunday. But how many of you know that we can celebrate the Lord today and every day because he's risen. Amen. He's risen. And so I'm excited to dive into God's word with you all this morning. Hey, so we're going to be in a new sermon series in the book of Ephesians called Grace Through Faith, A Gift from God. And so you might be like, man, what is this gift from God? What is this pertaining to? Well, everything. Everything that you have as a believer and me as a believer is a gift from God. His grace, your faith, you and I's salvation is a gift from Him. And essentially, God gave us Himself, the greatest gift ever. Amen? And so we get to worship Him this morning. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 2. So go ahead, turn there or scroll there in your mobile devices or tablet, and we'll be chopping it up in verses 1 through 2. And so as you turn there, let me offer a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do praise you for this day, this Lord's Day, that we get to gather and worship you through singing, through praying, through uh, hearing your word preached. And God, I pray that you would be magnified now in all things, uh, and, and that you've already been magnified and glorified in uh, the service thus far, but that you would, at this moment, in this preaching time, uh, be lifted high, be glorified, be pleased with the preached word. And so God, help me to hide in you and help me to, to decrease and you increase. God, be pleased with every word, with everything that's said in this time. And use it, God. Use it to, to do only what you can do. Let your word do the work in all of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians 1 Verses 1 through 2, starting at verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the main idea of our passage this morning is this, is that Paul writes a letter to the church at Ephesus to encourage them of who they are in Christ and how they are to live in Christ. So that's the main point of our, our time this morning, the main idea of the passage. And essentially, we'll see this main idea teased out throughout the entire chapter. Uh, the first three chapters of the book are, are doctrine heavy, uh, which just means teaching or beliefs about the Christian faith, like Jesus is God. 
Then the last three chapters of the book are more about living out those Christian beliefs, like the reality that Jesus is God uh, and that this Jesus saved me. Now, how do I actually walk that out? How do I actually live in light of Jesus being God and, and him saving me? And the verses we are studying this morning are an introduction to the letter. So if you're taking notes, here are our three points for this morning. So point number one, author. And we'll see that from verse 1a. Point number two, recipients. And we'll see that in verse 1b. And then point three, greeting. And we'll see that in verse two. So once again, author, recipient, greeting. So let's look at point one together author. Look back with me at verse one. What does it read? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So who is Paul? What do we know about Paul? Well, off rip, we know that he is the author of this book. He is the author of this letter. And for you young bucks, yes, Paul wrote a letter. <laughs> It's funny saying young buck, I, I have reached a point where I guess I'm kind of a young old head. And so uh, I get to say young buck now, but they didn't have phones or text messaging or Zoom or social media in that time. They had face to face. They had letters. And scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter after Jesus's death in the early 60s towards the end of his life, most likely while he was in prison. We also know the following from scripture and, and another helpful guide in getting these details was, was Dr. Charles Quarles from Southeastern Seminary uh, from his book, Illustrated Life of Paul. Here are some of the things that he lists in there that were helpful details in understanding who Paul is. So Paul was born in a Jewish family in Tarsus of Cilicia, and that's you find that in Acts 22, verse 3. His parents named him Saul in Hebrew, but he would later be called Paul. Paul and his family were tent makers. And so we, we find that in Acts chapter 18, verse 3. And then also that Paul was trained in the scriptures by Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel was a leading Jewish teacher of the day. And so Paul was a, was a beast with the scriptures. He was taught by uh, one of the leading Jewish leaders of the day. What you may know of him most is that he persecuted the church. We, we looked at that some last week in our time together, but, but what a lot of us know about him most is that he persecuted the church. Uh, listen to Acts 8 verses 1 through 3 with me. And Saul approved his execution. Uh, his execution being Stephen's execution. You see that in the chapter before that Paul approved of his execution and continuing on. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Paul opposed the Christian faith. He lived a life that was unpleasing to God. He hated God and he hated God's people. 
He did exactly what all of us did and have done apart from knowing Christ. We don't love Christ. We uh, don't first love him. We don't first come to him. We actually hate him. And it has to be him that uh, by grace through faith grants us the love, grants us the faith to trust him and to know him. And so we, just like Paul, before he came to know Christ, we did the same thing. But, but the persecutor became the preacher. The persecutor became the preacher. If you were with us last week, we, we kind of hovered over this passage a little bit, but I'll read it in full for you now. Listen to how God snatched Paul up from the world. Acts 9 verses 1 through 19. We'll walk through this a little bit here now. So starting at verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that, that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who called on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. So I wanted to read all of that so you could get the glimpse of just, man, the, the, the glory of the salvation in Paul's life. You see how the Lord saved Paul? It's an amazing story of God's mercy to a sinner like Paul and sinners like you and me. So listen, no one is too far from God's reach. No one is too far from God's reach. Some of y'all just missed your moment of worship 
I'm going to give you a second to praise him. But the reality is, is that, man, no one is too far from God's reach. There is no one whose sin won't be forgiven if they repent and turn to Jesus. It's like the hymn that says, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Hallelujah. Amen. Our sins, they are many. But his mercy, yo, his mercy is more. Amen. So keep sharing the gospel with your family members and friends and co-workers, folks in the business world, cats on the block who seem far away from God. There is no one, and I mean no one, who our God's mercy cannot meet. Maybe you're tuning in this morning and you feel like you are far away from God. Maybe you feel unreachable. Man, I, I, I want you to know you, you can be reached and God desires to reach you. But you must call out to him. So the, the, the beauty of the, the, the Christian uh, message, the beauty of Christianity is that, man, God has come to you and me in the Lord Jesus Christ by living a perfect sinless life in our place and dying a death that you and I deserved on the cross for our sin. And he was buried in a grave and he was resurrected on the third day. We celebrated this last week. We celebrate this all of life. And brother or sister tuning in who feels far away from God, if you Believe in that message by faith this morning. If you put your sin away, if you turn away from your sins and turn to him in trust and faith, yo, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. And I want to invite you to that this morning. You are not far away from him. He has actually opened arms for you only if you would come to him in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the text doesn't stop there, does it? It tells us more about Paul. Let's look at the rest of verse 1a. It says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what is an apostle? Well, the word apostle means sent one. And in some ways we are all sent ones, if you will. But what's unique about Paul's apostleship is that his authority was given to him uh, by Christ, by the will of God. I like how Dr. Tony Marita puts it. He says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. That is his authority came from Jesus Christ. While sometimes the term apostle is used in a non-technical sense, more often than not, it is used in a technical way, referring to those whom the risen Christ called and commissioned. Paul says he was an apostle by God's will. God's will is an important theme in the letter, emphasizing God's purposes. Paul's apostleship was not of his own choosing. God appointed him from birth. So then what was the criteria to be an apostle? Well, one, you, you had to have been chosen by the Lord and had been with him. Uh, before the cross, so had been with him during his earthly ministry, or two, you saw the resurrected Lord. 
you saw the risen Savior. Listen to these two passages that uh, helps us bring this uh, to bear. So Acts 1, 21 through 26, it says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You see how Matthias was, was with Jesus during his earthly ministry, uh, that he, was, he, he saw him uh, and he was chosen by him. Do you see that from this passage? Or what about Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1, where it reads, it says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? So notice how Paul defends his apostleship by claiming he has seen the Lord. So the question is, are there apostles today? Well, no, biblically speaking. Based on the criteria above that we just kind of walked through, uh, we can conclude that being an apostle in the New Testament sense is not possible because one would need to have been with the Lord and seen him resurrected. So one would have had needed to to been with him, been chosen by him and had seen his resurrection. Which then leads to our second point this morning, recipients. Recipients. So point number two, recipients. Look back with me at verse one B. It says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this is who the letter is being written to. Uh, Saints who are in Ephesus. So then who are the saints? Well, it's the believers. It's those who have turned from their sins and have turned to Christ by faith in trust in him. It's the church. The word saints has Old Testament ties. It speaks to God's choosing of a people unto salvation and making them his people, making them a holy people. Notice that the text also says the saints are in Ephesus. So what do we know about Ephesus? Well, Ephesus was a booming city at that time. It was one of the largest cities at that time. So today, when when we think about New York and L.A. and Tokyo, Ephesus would have been grouped into those large cities. Uh, Here's how Dr. Marita puts it. He says, Ephesus is in modern day Western Turkey. It was a busy port city, the fourth or fifth largest city in the world at that time. Its massive amphitheater held about 25,000 people. The city hosted athletic events similar to the Olympics. But Ephesus is also known for other things, isn't it? Ephesus is also known for its wickedness. Uh, 
is known for its wickedness, is known for its practice of dark magic and worship of false gods, etc., etc. Not too different from what we see in our world today, huh? But as Brother Brock read from Acts 19 verses 1 through 20 earlier in the service, we get a backdrop of how Paul engaged Ephesus with the gospel, don't we? So Acts 19.10 tells us that Paul preached and reasoned in Ephesus. Here's what it says. It says, this continued, well, Paul preaching and reasoning, uh, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11 tells us that God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. Uh, people were being healed of their diseases and illnesses and sickness. Uh, demons were being cast out, etc., etc. Dr. Marita is, is, is yet again helpful here as we think about this verse. He says, Paul performed miracles that confirm his message, but we need to be careful in applying this account. Acts is a narrative and narratives are descriptive, not prescriptive. Uh, meaning Luke is simply describing what happened. He is not prescribing we do this. So we are not to go start an apron ministry. We should certainly apply the narratives, but they are different from epistles, which give us clear exhortations. As a result of God working through Paul, listen to how the people in Ephesus respond as a result of, of Paul spending time and proclaiming the truth and reasoning, look at how the people of Ephesus respond in Acts 19 verses 17 through 20. It says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. But none of this was done without opposition. We learn later in Acts 19 that a riot broke out because of a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith. Listen to what goes down here in the rest of Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificent, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged 
and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So Demetrius was like, Paul and this gospel is stopping our money and, and they are disrespecting our gods, the audacity. Demetrius was like, I'm like bone crusher. I ain't never scared, huh? And he was like, let's get it. You see, sin leads people to do some of the most craziest things, doesn't it? See how our sin and opposition to God and his message leads us to do some of the craziest things. God has called us to Congress Heights, a neighborhood here in Southeast Washington, DC, where there are many challenges and oppositions to the gospel. When we're evangelizing, we run into many people who ascribe to different religions, experienced church hurt, been traumatized by violence, etc., etc. Yet, this is a place that has not been forgotten by God. There are believers here, there are churches here, and God has raised up another church by His grace, CHCC, to proclaim His message and meet real needs in the community and do this rooted in our love for God and our love for neighbor. So CHCC family, be encouraged in the Lord this morning. Be encouraged by Dr. Marita's words here as well. He says, the church in Ephesus was birthed in large part in the midst of opposition. If you plan on planting a church or going to a tough city, and I pray many of you will, remember this pattern. It will be a struggle. You may bleed, but take comfort in Paul's journey. Be prepared for war, but be confident in the Lord. CHCC family, let's, let's continue to be confident in the Lord. And, and man, in his power, in his might, in his strength, uh, maybe, maybe rest in that. Maybe, maybe know that our Lord is mighty and that he's mighty to save. Maybe rest in that this morning. And may that compel us as we continue to seek to love our neighbors well in Congress Heights and see, man, a revival take place in Congress Heights and all of Ward 8 and to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Which then leads to the last phrase at the end of verse 1b. Look what it says. It says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So the Ephesian church was, was birthed out of opposition and they face some challenges, right? But what a pastorally encouraging way to speak about the church by saying, man, and they are faithful. They are faithful. This word faithful kind of has a double meaning here. Uh, in one sense, the Ephesian believers have faith, right? They have trusted in the Lord Jesus in the sense that they have been saved. But then in another sense, they are living out their faith in a daily, trustworthy, and faithful way. 
In other words, their faith in Christ is lived out faithfully on a daily basis. These Ephesian believers weren't super Christians and you and I aren't super Christians. Uh, none of us Christians have it all together, but we're striving to be more and more like Jesus day by day. God calls us to be faithful in all things. So I guess a couple of questions for us this morning. Are you striving to be faithful? Um, are, you, are you faithfully reading your Bible? If you're, if you're married, are you faithfully loving your spouse? If you have children, how's that going? Are you faithfully loving your children? If you're single and celibate, how's that working? How are you doing in that? Are you faithful in your singleness this morning? Are you faithful in your job, in your work, in your profession? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That they be found faithful. Also notice that your faithfulness is rooted in your union with Christ. As the text says, you see it says, in Christ Jesus. So they aren't faithful in faithful for faithful sake. <laughs> They're faithful in Christ. Their faithfulness is, is rooted in a person and that person being the Lord Jesus. And because they're rooted in the Lord Jesus, man, the Lord Jesus provides them the strength and the grace and provides us as believers the, the strength and the grace to be faithful because we're, we're looking to him and we're trusting in him as we seek to walk out our daily lives. Which then leads to our third and final point this morning, greeting. So we've looked at author, we've looked at recipient, now greeting. Look at verse two with me. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a greeting from Paul to the Ephesian believers uh, this is the same greeting in all of Paul's letters, all 13 of them. Um, you should check it out. All of his letters, you see this, this unique greeting, this, this pastoral greeting from Paul. This greeting is more than just an hello. It's more of a prayer and hope that grace would come to the Ephesians. Same with the peace. So it's a, it's a prayer that, man, that God's grace would come to the Ephesian believers and peace. So then what's grace? What's grace? Well, it's God's unmerited favor or how some have put it over the years. It's, it's, um, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Is this something you can earn? No, you can't. It's by God's grace. It's a gift from him that he grants to us. So Paul is, is, is praying that the Ephesian believers would experience God's grace, that his grace would, would come to them. Then what's peace? Paul is also praying that God would bring peace to his readers. This is that Philippians 4, 7 type peace. What does Philippians 4, 7 say? It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Did you also notice that this grace and peace in the text comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? So the question this morning for all of us, are you experiencing God's grace and peace this morning? Are you experiencing God's grace and peace this morning? If you're not a believer, consider it God's grace that you are tuning in this morning to hear about his grace. Consider that grace from God that you are tuned in and that he's allowed you to hear his good news this morning. But before you can experience peace in God, you have to experience peace with God. So once again, before you can experience peace in him, you have to experience peace with him. Let me explain. So Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since, you, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So right here we see that since we have been justified, we have been declared righteous. Uh, and this is something that we didn't do on do our own account. This is something that God has done. God has declared the believer righteous in his sight. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what this means is, is that at one point uh, we had beef with God and all of humanity fits in that. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, uh, man, we have had beef with God from the beginning. Jesus comes on the scene and he squashes the beef between God and man by living and dying and rising in our place for our sins. And once we uh, confess and believe that message by faith only and then only can the beef be squashed between God and man. And so I want to invite you to that this morning. So before you can experience peace in him, man, you got to get the, the, the beef squashed between you and him because right now God's wrath is abiding over your head. And if you were to die right now, in your sin, you will be eternally separated from a loving God who, as we've uh, been hearing this morning and just now, who died for you, who went to the cross for you and me so that you might know him, so that you might live for him. Oh, would you come to him this morning? Would you come to him by faith? By turning away from your sin and turning to him in faith, in trust, in belief, in only what Christ has done for you. Would you do that this morning? He longs to know you. Would you put your faith in him this morning? And if you're a believer, praise God that you are experiencing his continual grace and both aspects of his peace. So one is a wrap already. So that's peace with God, salvation. That's a wrap for the believer. And the other, God can grant you daily if you look to him and trust him and keep your mind on him. And with so much going on in our personal lives and in the world, man, we could all use some peace, huh? We could all use some peace. 
Here's how Isaiah 26, 3 puts it. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Hmm. Or how Jesus tells us in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So you hear that believer? That man, by God's grace, you, you've experienced his grace and salvation. You've experienced peace in him and with him. And that man, today uh, you can experience fresh peace in him. Fresh peace for all your troubles, for all your worries. You can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You need not to fret this morning. You need not to worry. You need to trust. Trust in our God who is trustworthy, who will give you peace. Keep your mind on him. Keep looking to him. Keep trusting in him. He's worthy of your praise. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, um, yeah, God, that no matter how chaotic the world is, man, for the believer, we can find peace in you. No matter how chaotic our lives are during the week, our work schedules, family, whatever the case may be, whatever it might be, uh, we can find peace with you peace that surpasses all understanding. God, thank you for your peace. Thank you for your grace. You're so good, God, and you do good. Help us, Lord, to know that, to trust that, and to hope in that. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.